I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Becky. She had a gastrointestinal stromal tumor. Let's talk about it. Becky, uh, we are uh, very excited to talk to you about something I don't think we've covered on the podcast before, which is gist, gist, gist. At least that's how I say it. It's like the gist, gist gist debate. Yeah, it's gist. Yeah. (laughs) And what does gist stand for? Gastrointestinal stromal tumor. Jared, there is an opportunity for you to say. Can you give us the gist of it? Uh, I did, yeah. I made that joke. I said that's the it. gist of it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, um, I hate you guys. Um, <laughs> uh, so, gist um, uh, gastrointestinal stromal tumor. So, I'm guessing this is a tumor in your stomach. Yeah, it, it can be anywhere in your stomach or along your intestinal tract. But for me, it's on my duodenum, which is a part of your small intestine. Um, and it's a sarcoma. So I think for a lot of cancers, they're carcinomas, but this is a sarcoma. What's the difference? Oh, you know? yeah. What is the difference? I, I was know? saying this with a lot of confidence. Like, I know the difference. Uh, I'm, <laughs> there's a lot of shame in the things that I don't know about my disease. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but that's that's what it is. Uh, it's a, a sarcoma. Well, I've got <laughs> a got difference here. between, like, being in, in the tissue or on the bone. Brian, you are very good, Brian. A carcinoma oh. is in the skin or tissue cells that line the body's internal organs, such as the kidneys and liver. A sarcoma grows in the body's connective tissue cells, which include fat, blood vessels, nerves, bones, muscle, deep skin, tissues, and cartilage. So yes, I'm it, super Louise. surprised that we, like, <laughs> we have covered, we have talked to so many people who have dealt with, I mean, like, a, such a wide variety of different cancers. I've heard the word sarcoma and carcinoma so many times, mm-hmm. yet... This is the first time that we have actually actually <laughs> asked what the difference is between those. I think it's because nobody has ever, Becky, you might be the first person to say that it is this as opposed to that. Right. That, mm. might be the, that might be the, the ticket. Now it'll be interesting to see how long we remember and retain that information. <laughs> I, yeah. I've honestly already forgotten, and this really affects my life. <laughs> yeah. so, so, Becky, take us back. Take us back, back to, uh, how old are you right now? Uh, 32. So when did you, at what age did you find out that you were dealing with, uh, with, with gist, 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 gist. <laughs> so I was 30, just shy of 31, uh, but it was Christmas Eve and I observed Christmas. So it was Christmas Eve, um, in like in my 30th year. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's mm. and. I, I mean, you know, I think we, we've spoken to so many people over the years that have dealt with cancer and, the getting the diagnosis of something like that is obviously like um, uh, a very challenging event in someone's life. Um, I, I'm imagining that's that's no different for you. What what was that experience like? In you know wh- when you heard the the 
the big C word. What was that like for you? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I think for a long time, like the, the trauma that I was processing was literally picturing myself in that room uh, with the diagnosis. It was it wasn't great. And I think probably a lot of people with cancer would agree that that's not a great moment. Um, I would say for me, um, I, I this all started because I was doing a lot of yoga at the time. And it's a really rare cancer that you don't have any symptoms for and usually mm. just comes across accidentally on like an ultrasound or something. And I thought I could feel something move when I was when I was doing yoga. So I went for my annual physical and uh, told my GP about it. And we did a cat or, or like we did an ultrasound. There was a mask. But then we did a CT scan days later. And then, of course, it uh, they said it was cancer. But and I bring those things up because you read into all of the steps along the way. Like, oh, I did an ultrasound and now they want me to do a CAT scan. Is this is this going to be cancer? And the same day I did the CAT scan, the front desk from my doctor's office, they called me and it was definitely like their after school high school student who was arranging my appointment on co-op or some shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So she had like this sweet voice and she was like, like doctor, the doctor wants you to come in tomorrow uh, to review the results. I'm like, cool. And she's like, and the doctor says to bring a loved one. Um, and I'm like, well, I know what this oh. means now. Oh, no. <laughs> so imagine the trauma for this poor person who knows what I'm getting and she has to uh. be the one. So feedback from my doctor was, yeah, there's no good way to say this, but maybe yeah. um, maybe don't leave that to the to the after school part timer at the front yeah. desk. So she had, she just oh sorry yeah. Well, I was gonna say like what you know it's like what what how do you say that though you know like how else do you bring up like hey come in for these results but also like make sure that you're ready to sit down like you know yeah. what I mean like like how do you how the fuck does one even say that. I mean, I guess, I guess it would be, it would be really weird if you were, if you were hearing it from someone saying it, like, as if they're reading it off a sheet of paper that's like highlighted, bolded, that says, make sure they know to bring loved one. Yeah. Um, but it's it, like, it, make this, it's like, it, like stars, like, <laughs> make, make, ner- make patient neurotic. <laughs> but I, I think about it and maybe, maybe yeah. the Don't answer, tell because them I was exactly just trying to think is? of like, how do you, how do you call somebody and tell them to bring a loved one without it obviously like setting off alarm bells. Maybe the answer is that it's not something that should be handled during the call. Like previous, like when you're doing the uh, CAT scan, for example, Mm, having the conversation then saying, listen, look, like there could be, you know, we're we're checking for a bunch of different things. There could be something that comes up here that could be really challenging for you to Mm. um, deal with. So we would advise that during this um, follow-up appointment, you bring a loved one with you at the time, mm. you know, so mm. you have somebody there to support you. Because then it's not on the yeah. person making the call to be like, hey, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, not really yeah, going to be the greatest news. Right. It's going to happen either yeah. way yeah. Rather, yeah. Than, rather than insinuating like right, 100% yeah. that there is, like you're going, before, before we even know the results of this, just have somebody for your follow-up appointment. Yeah. You're Rather totally right about that, Brian. That. Like it could start at the cat cat scan tech. You know, like mm-hmm. that could be. I, I'm sure a cat scan tech is listening to this, going, "I don't <laughs> add that to my fucking plate." That's right? not how like, that works. I got, enough, I got enough work to do. Um, but this is what healthcare is all about. Right? I, it is, this is the whole is. thing we've yeah. been talking about yeah. since. You know, starting yeah. to understand what the patient experience is all about is that yeah. it's not just about physical diagnoses, which means that everybody who's involved mm. in the healthcare chain is responsible for managing 
people's emotions yeah. through that so, journey. So Becky, what is that? What is that? What does that look like for you when they, when you hear, when you hear that? I mean, what is the, I mean, I'm assuming you jump to, you know, any number of bad conclusions. What, what goes through your head when you, when you're, when they ask you to bring somebody with you? Right away. I, I, I'm like, okay, they don't want me driving home. They want to support. It's definitely cancer. And I think I, I always think about things in terms of a spectrum, in terms of this is going to be the best case, medium case, worst case. And I was trying to prep myself for all of the cases and hoping that it wasn't the worst case. And in my brain, and I don't know, I like, I, I sometimes feel like I'm pretty intuitive or maybe I'm just making sense of things that don't really make sense. But I kept fixating in my mind on, I just hope there's nothing on my liver, not no other part of my body. Just, I hope there's nothing on my liver because that would suggest it's pretty advanced. And, um, you know, maybe I'm giving a spoiler alert. There was stuff on my liver. So uh, I kind of called that one, but it was, um, it was definitely, my husband wasn't home from work at the time. And uh, like, or I guess, yeah, cause this was maybe a little bit before the official diagnosis. So he was on his way home from work and I was just sitting there on my bed, like, like I've got to process this on my own. And he finally came home and we decided that we'd go to our local chicken wing shop because that's what we like to do. Um, And sure enough, we are in, we're eating chicken wings and the song that we danced to at our wedding came on, which doesn't really fit a wing shop vibe period. So I'm suspicious about why it even came on. Um, And we're driving to the appointment. It was the doctor's office. They called and they were like, play this this song. We suspect she's going to eat more chicken wings. We've seen what her lips looks like she needs and support <laughs> give her make play the song yeah <laughs> or it could have been your husband who just went up and was what's like it? hey you know we're going through something right now can you play our wedding song yeah. what is yeah. the, what's the song can we can i ask what the song is uh, harvest moon by neil young oh, classic mm. classic yeah yeah, yeah. Wedding song. I, I one thing i do want to kind of uh, just just rewind and touch on is you were you were t- <laughs> When you were talking about, uh, I was doing a lot of yoga at the time. I thought, I was like, man, how fucking wild would it be if she was just like, and yoga gave me cancer. Um, <laughs> but but I, you did say you did say that like you felt something moving around. Mm-hmm. Can you be more specific about that? Like, what did you what did you feel? Like, what was what was the actual physical sensation that you had going on then? Yeah, which I mean, now with context, because it's on my duodenum, which is where like what connects your stomach to your intestines. Um, when I would do something like a spinal twist, I almost felt like it's not like it moved around. It was, it was in the same position, but I felt winded. Like something was like punching me in the stomach. Um, I'd be like, Ooh, like, like literally I I walked up to you, punch you in the stomach. It would be kind of that feeling. Um, and, and that's, and I, to me, that didn't seem normal, especially given that I had been doing so much yoga and was pretty aware of how my body felt. It felt a little abnormal when that started to happen. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's it's like uh, yoga. Yoga is. I mean, I would never, <clears throat> I would never make like some totally ludicrous claim that like you know yoga is gonna yoga is gonna like help you de- detect cancer. But like you do know, like when there's a tumor, when there's a growth, like if you, yoga and lots of other practices that are that are like really movement based, you you are constantly exploring how your body feels, and mm. it is, it is. Like it is just like a like a kind of a crazy and cool example of like how just doing this thing that you're doing for whatever reason, whether it's you want to be healthier or you want to be more flexible or you want to get more centered or more calm or whatever it is, it like helps you become attuned to the, like the nuances of how you feel mm. and that you can have that thought that goes like, I'm going to clock that. This isn't right. 
yeah. when I see my physician, I'm just going to bring it up because mm-hmm. I feel I feel it, and it's like it's kind of out of the ordinary. That's just I just I find mm-hmm. it cool. I mean, your your tumor's not it's not cool. That you got a tumor, <laughs> but it's cool that you felt it because you're exploring, and that's just like a really healthy thing for us to do yeah. Yeah. in general for a ton mm-hmm. of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The but uh, sorry. Go ahead, Becky, if you want oh, to. Oh, no, I was just going to say I was so grateful for the practice. I At the time, I felt like I needed it a lot mentally, and it was really great for me at the time as well. And then that was kind of a bonus, and I often think about if – if I just hadn't been as aware, uh, I share the same sentiment that I don't think yoga is going to cure cancer, but yeah. it helps with stress management and that hyper awareness of my body. And I'm just super glad I got diagnosed before COVID. So any, like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that the practice really helped. You, yeah. you, you mentioned that, uh, that you were going for like a, your annual checkup, um, you know, as a, as a 31 year old guy, like, I don't think I've ever been to an, for an annual checkup. And I'm, I'm not sure like guys, guys, if you have, I mean, Jared, I know you go to clinic, but, but like Taylor, do you ever go for annual checkups just to like check in with your doc and see uh, how things not are going? An, not well. I've, I'm only a recent, I'm like only recently a, a patient of a family physician, like over the past right. year and a half or so, but just a, I actually wrote it down. Feel good Friday segment tomorrow. Taylor's upcoming doctor's appointment on Thursday. So just take note. That's all. Okay. Saying. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's nice. Stay tuned for next week, week folks. We might, Taylor might have cancer. Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> well, well, I wanted to ask, or, like, yeah, because I, I find it. I mean, I feel like I probably should be going for an annual checkup. But like, is this? Do you, did you just go for annual checkups, Becky, or or like, have you had like existing health things that you wanted to like kind of keep on your radar and check in with your doc about? Well, I, I guess I will say from a female perspective, you're usually encouraged to go for regular pap smears. So that's usually why I would end up going. Okay. Um, but I will say I was um, even funny when I think about it. One of my friends who, when I told them about the diagnosis, they were someone who chirped me all the time for being like a hypochondriac and super paranoid. Uh, and the first thing she said was, oh my gosh, you weren't just being paranoid. It was real. <laughs> uh, because I, it, I, To be honest, I had suspected for a long time there was something weird I like like in my early 20s I remember going to the same doctor and saying I had a heart like I feel a little funny when I eat sometimes like I feel yeah. like maybe I thought I had like you know IBS or something but just wanted to manage it so mm-hmm. um I was I, like I I'm the personality type that wanted to have some regular eyes on my body thing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, and did you did you always schedule them around Christmas because like there's less of a wait time or like <laughs> you know it's a good time to get a bad diagnosis because it's like a happy time of year like what? no <laughs> there, like there was there's no the method time. to this madness it was just <laughs> I need to get this done. And to be fair, I I started to feel the sensation probably in early October. And I kind of felt in my gut, but um, um, that uh, there was something wrong. Um, But uh, yeah, and I I think I just wanted to wait till there was a better time. Like work for me calms down in in December. And I planned a road trip to Philly with some friends. So um, I wanted to wait until all of those things were done, but there's no, right. uh, no method to, yeah, I know I some people schedule around their birthdays, but yeah. I was wondering if that was like a hack, like, you know, <laughs> if you didn't know the waits are shorter during Christmas. Brian <laughs> <laughs> loves a good life hack. <laughs> Although I will <laughs> really say does. that's oftentimes when your doctor's planning to take holiday until 
you get diagnosed with cancer and they have to delay their trip so that they can meet you to give you your diagnosis. Oh, so whoa, that was fuck. also why I knew something was wrong because she had mentioned she was going to visit family who were who live farther, much further away. Uh, and she was leaving on the Friday and the Friday was when our appointment was. And I'm like, oh, okay. So oh, wow. she she needs to give me this news before she she goes on her own holiday. So God, what a yeah. job. What a, what a, what a fucking part of the, part of the work. I, I, I'm curious to know. So like, you know, you, you get the, you get these results, obviously. Um, uh, I, I mean, I was going to say this for later, but in the, in the, the, the sort of pre-interview doc here and what it's been in our calendar is that we, we were, you know, it's, it's set up the title of, of today's recording is Becky with the good cancer. Um, <laughs> When you got your diagnosis, why, why, why Becky with the good cancer? Were you, like, is that something that was actually said to you? Like, oh, but you know, don't worry, you got the good cancer. I know that. Uh, I know that that anyone who has cancer is like, there's no. That's a Seinfeld such, episode. I'll just, no such I'll just <laughs> reference that of good cancer. But it's funny you mentioned though Seinfeld because the whole for me what Becky with the good cancer represents is I really want to write a sitcom that's a little like curb your enthusiasm-y um, about living with cancer and just like the awkward shit you have to deal with with mm, having cancer. Um, I should say that like actually so much of my experience so far with cancer, obviously I've wrestled with the, the personal aspects of it, but being asymptomatic, I often, if I choose to tell someone, I have to manage their own feelings about cancer. And like clockwork, it's well, it sounds like if you were going to get anything, this is the good kind. Um, right. And uh, and so when I was thinking about sitcom names, Becky with the can- the good cancer was the one that, <laughs> that came it. through. <laughs> so so when, when you get the news, you know, like talking about the you know this this whole good cancer thing. Um, no no cancer is good cancer, but but when you do receive the diagnosis of of just just just, um, do you do did they you know how how did they manage your how did they manage your expectations of what you were kind of set, set up for? You know, did they, mm-hmm. were, were you given any kind of, um, like, I know that if, if today, if, if Taylor goes in to his doctor's appointment and, and in a couple of days and they, they go, Oh, well, it turns out you have, um, you have, uh, uh, prostate cancer. Like that, that is like a really scary diagnosis. Um, because prostate cancer oftentimes comes with a, a very quick end. Um, yeah. So with with GIST, what was the you know how did they what did they tell you Were they like this is this is bad, or or was it more so in in the lane of like you know this this does look manageable things could be really really great for you. Who fucking says things could be really great for you? What, what, what did they say? What did they say? I, I should say, so the diagnosis almost has like two parts, um, which is when my, my physician told me and then when I actually first met with my oncologist. So mm. the when I first met with my physician, I should say that because this is a really, really rare cancer, most people won't get this cancer. If they're getting cancer, this is probably not the one. Um, and it often goes really mis- misdiagnosed. And part of that is, the the prognosis gets misdiagnosed as well. Um, Given that, like in my situation, there's a primary tumor and then some tumors on my liver. For most people, that would mean 
you know, like stage four, start like planning, like wrapping up your affairs. Uh, But that's not necessarily the case for GIST, which I can get to later. But so when I first met with my, um, with my physician, I will give her credit. She she connected with other colleagues and um, she suspected it was GIST, but because she's not a specialist and if there's anything I can hammer home today, connect with a specialist so that you get the, the best information. So you get but the gist she, of it. That was, yeah. there, there it was. We, there we, we got go. it Great job. <laughs> It'll never get old. It's a, it's a <laughs> never. so Puns, she told me, um, she was like, it's on your liver. Like it, there's, we don't know it's, it's in your stomach. It could be on the head of your pancreas. It could be uh, like on your intestinal tract. We don't a hundred percent know what type of cancer this is, but it is on your liver. And uh, and then I, you know, I, I was pretty being pretty clinical about it and asking questions. And one of the things was the prognosis, which I think is probably the first question all of us ask. But she was like, it could be months, it could be years. It was really there was a lot of emphasis on the months, or maybe that's what I heard. And I was doing my master's at the time, and I had one credit left. And I asked, I'm like, should I even do this? Should I finish my master's? She's like, don't, don't even worry about it. Like, don't bother kind of thing. Oh, oh, she wow. told me, yeah, like I, like things were coming to an end and that was on a Friday. So, uh, and I didn't see my oncologist for a couple of days, which I am grateful. I got to see him super quickly, but I spent that whole weekend with my husband, like crying. We didn't even stay at our place. We stayed at my brother-in-law's because it was just hard to be home. Mm. Um, and then by the time I saw my oncologist, he was like, he's a GIST specialist and uh, one of the few GIST specialists in Ontario, let alone Canada. Um, but he was saying how like he's treated people with worse GIST and, uh, and they've lived a super long time. So mm. staging even with GIST oh, wow. is weird because like, like METS or a metastatic type of GIST is pretty common, but because it uses a targeted therapy that it's really responsive to, some people do live for years, like upwards of 30 years, even with a metastatic version oh, wow. of this cancer. So, wow. um, yeah, he was pretty comforting that if I'm on this targeted therapy, my lifestyle shouldn't change too much. And I'm young and relatively healthy. If you don't mm. count the cancer, um, yeah. then, <laughs> then the, mm. my prognosis should be pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It's, it was interesting because when you, when you talked about, um, getting the call from the admin or student or whoever it was. And, and, and they said to bring in a loved one, you mentioned like thinking through like on the spectrum, where is this? Is this like the bad worst case? Is this like average? Is this good? And you, you mentioned that if it was, you were worried about it being on your liver. And then when we find out that it's on your liver, but yet people are still calling it the good cancer. Like I was trying to, understand like how that fits because it sounds like you know there's a chance that it can be treated and you can live a long life but also there's a chance that it could be like your your gp said you know maybe it maybe it's going to be months not not knowing what the specialist knew about this but like how like is there clarity around how well the treatment no yeah or like how does that work well, and it's funny because even I know, like I've connected with you all a couple times leading up to the interview. And even since all of those points, I've received different information. So I, I should mm-hmm. say that I, when I was diagnosed was the end of December for 2019. And up until about a month or two ago, I was just taking 
like which is um it's a targeted therapy called imatinib which uh it tar- directly targets those cells this is why people think it's good there's no chemo um and very minimal side effects um where mm. it's just tar- like uh, targeting the cancer and it shrinks the cancer and hopefully you have an operation which usually isn't um an option for people who have any like metastatic disease but about a month like a like just over a month ago um I had a consultation with a surgeon because my primary mass has shrunk so much that my oncologist wanted to see if they would be open to an operation. And they really weren't. They're like, you have all kinds of cancer on your liver. Uh, we're not even, like, we're not going to entertain this. And I was a little defensive, like, whoa, I thought I only had three marks on my liver. And they were like, no, at least 12, um, which, oh, oh, oh. yeah. And and then I, I went through a rough period thinking this is much more advanced than I thought. One mm. of those has to get out of control eventually. Um, but then I think in the appointment, because I was pushing them a little bit, they were like, if it makes you happy, we'll do an MRI and we'll, we'll clarify what those are. Because oftentimes with just, um, I think for, or in my case, they, I do have a lot of marks on my liver, but they weren't sure if they were cancer. So they're like, you know, if, if it shrinks, once you start your targeted therapy, we'll make some assumptions that those are cancer cells. And some did shrink somewhat. Um, but then I did this MRI because just to make me happy. And now the MRI is suggesting that they're not cancerous. So I might actually not have a metastatic version of this cancer. Whoa, that, whoa. And that radically changes my outcomes. That means wow. I might actually get to have an operation in the next few months or actually a few weeks uh, where I'll remove whoa. the primary mass and do a, a what is likely a Whipple procedure where they remove your gallbladder, your duodenum, your part of your pancreas and it's it's pretty intense, uh, and then maybe stay on my targeted therapy to prevent any further uh, disease. But it was kind of a game changer, even in the yeah. last few weeks. Um, otherwise, uh, up until this point, I'd just been doing my own thing, waiting to see what happens. And now there are potentially some options. Oh, wow. are they are they cis? Are they cis? Is that what they think? Maybe they are, or. Yeah, they are. That, that's like the debate. And I've learned so much about the medical experience that I didn't know before. Apparently, there's a tumor board where doctors review your cases and determine what they think should happen next. So the tumor board, they had been in touch with me. And I guess the, the first person I spoke to was like, yeah, we don't think this is cancer at all. The surgeon is a little bit more cautious. She's like, let's let's take a sample and see. But I guess they are cystic and it could be they were always cysts or hmm. the treatment has worked so well that now it's become cystic. So we're trying to see hmm. oh. just because it's not visible on the skin, are there microcells that are cancerous or is it just not cancerous at all? So okay. they're, they're going to take a sample to see. Yeah. In terms of like treating the liver, like doing surgery, would, would they, is it just about like kind of trying to scrape and remove like the pieces that are cancerous, but leaving the liver intact or like, is there, are there options for liver transplants? Yeah. So it's funny. These were some of the questions I had asked the surgeon as well. So I guess if it had been like, let's say even one cell, but in a resectable area, because you have to be careful about being near major artery uh, in mm-hmm. the liver. So if it's in a resectable area, they could cut it off or um, they'll do things like embolisms where they essentially, they either like burn or freeze the tumors uh, so that there's like little impact to the rest of the liver, but it's specifically that, um, that cell, like that cyst or tumor. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but that was when, so when I had asked him like, well, I know that the three tumors that I see for on my CAT scans uh, are in resectable areas. Could you just like chop those off and then take out the primary? But they were, they weren't on board because they said I w- my liver was so diseased that it, they wouldn't entertain it uh, mm-hmm. until they were like, well, you're young enough, which, 
always makes me think if I wasn't young enough, what they would have done for me. But mm. um, yeah, so I think that those that is possible. Uh, I think in my case too, after they remove the primary, they'll do the liver sample. And if they are cancerous, they might explore things like an embolism again, which is like burning or freezing the cells mm. uh, or just like, like, yeah, they'll cut off parts. For the transplant, that's not an option they were willing to explore because I think once it's metastatic, they, yeah, they, 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 they don't see the value in that. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. One of the things that keeps kind of striking me here in this conversation is how you know, we talk about patient advocacy a lot and, um, and the importance of patient advocacy and, and kind of standing up for what you believe in when it comes to what's happening in your body while also juggling like the stuff that you're hearing from the, the people who actually know way more about your body and how, how your body works and especially when it comes to disease. But it does, it sounds like there, is, there has been quite a number of times where you have sort of, spoken up, said something about whether it be, you know, what it is that you are actually physically feeling or, or speaking your mind about what you think might be the best viable option when it comes to treatment or therapy. And, and there seems to be a lot of like, it seems like the, 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 you know, the, the, the medical team that is, that is taking care of you is at least if not, if, if at first, maybe a little hesitant, at least after a bit of pushing, uh, a bit open to hearing these, these sorts of things from you, what, is, what has your experience been in terms of like your own self-advocacy when it comes to uh, figuring out the way that, that you think you should be treated when it comes to this cancer? When I was first diagnosed, uh, different people in my life were connecting me to other people who had uh, cancer as well. And one of the, the one of the people we connected with was one of my husband's friends from university who had testicular cancer uh, at one point. And he had mentioned, he's like, make sure to be your own advocate. And I didn't really understand it because my oncologist is amazing. I, and I never really felt the sense that I had to advocate for really anything with him right. uh, other than doing the paperwork, because I don't think he likes the, the paperwork my workplace requires. But um, I didn't really realize until this most recent experience with the surgeon and and I guess in a way I was advocating for this MRI when I just thought I was asking good questions. Um, but even I guess with my, my doctor where uh, because I'm the kind of person who goes to my annual physical with a laundry list of these are all the things I've experienced this year. Are they normal? Um, I think for even like, like even to advocate for myself that she should inspect what, like I could feel my, my the lump on my, like through my stomach uh, yeah. and having to advocate for her to take a look. Um, I, especially, I think for women, oftentimes we're not taken seriously in yeah. these cases as well. Uh, it's always remarkable to me once like my husband's on the phone too. Not that I want to perpetuate this, it's more just I want to get things done. How even sometimes 
the conversation can change. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely feel it now for advocating for yourself. Just And that could just be asking questions and and having to do your own research where you have to balance between not reading everything you can on WebMD, but exploring what other people have done and asking if that's possible for you too. Yeah. yeah. Imagine yeah. if, I mean, um, it, it's really interesting because I think of like, to me, the big challenge between, um, or the reason why people have to advocate for themselves so much in these situations is because I feel like healthcare workers sometimes struggle with communicating mm-hmm. in I think in, in lay person terms. So like, imagine what I'm thinking is like, imagine if you went to the hospital and as soon as you went in as a patient, you were assigned a like representative that understood the medical process, the medical system was able to translate and communicate the very medical sort of sciencey jargon to you and let you know what your options are and then advocated on your behalf for the types of treatments that you could get access to. A health broker. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Yeah, kind, yeah. Kind, yeah. Or like a kind case of, manager, right? you know, yeah, like someone yeah. who could, uh, yeah. I will say even at the first center that I was a part of was uh, the Odette Center at Sunnybrook Hospital. And they have everything down to a machine. They're like, um, after your appointment with your oncologist, you're going to meet with the financial person because my medication is about $5,000 a month. So if I don't have insurance, they help, they helped me with the insurance claim because usually your insurance doesn't want to pay for it uh, or how to explore provincial funding, which is really interesting because as a side note with, with cancer treatments, um, the innovations in cancer treatments are medicinal, but most of our provincial healthcare plans don't cover medicine. So now a lot of cancer treatments aren't affordable. Um, oh, now my fire alarm. So sorry. It's um, <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> all right. As long as your husband's not burning anything. <laughs> The dog was like, I'm not getting enough attention. I'm going to light a fire. <laughs> yeah, she set her mattress on fire. It was pretty bizarre. <laughs> you know, you know there, there's like a, there's a, when you, when you brought that up, Brian, but like just that whole idea, like when, when I, just as an, as like a personal, as like a personal example to, to relate to that, like when we you talk about your bike accident. No, I'm not. No, <laughs> I'm not. Nope. I'm not going to touch on that. Like when we had, when we had, um, when the when the pandemic started and we 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 uh, had to shut down our yoga studio and put our and do an online studio, like you know, there's 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 like a hundred ways to skin that cat. You know, like there is there you could all the technical aspects, the way that you put video online, the like the mics that you use, the cameras that you like. There's so many options. There's so many ways to do it. And so from like the technical aspect, you know, whenever I had conversations with any of my partners about like how to do it. It's like, well, you could do it this way or you could do it that way. And like, here's the pros and cons to the ways that you could do it. And I feel like I, I always try to try to have that conversation about like, here's all the ways that we can do it. And here's like the way that I'm leaning, but I'm also open to your thoughts. And like, that's like in a perfect world, how I feel like the medical system should also work. Now the benefit of the doubt side of me is like the medical system is like perpetually bogged down in like such a nasty way that that's a really challenging thing. Um, but like that would be perfect world. And also physicians and surgeons tend to have just like an inbuilt, not malicious, not nefarious in any ways, just have like an inbuilt personal preference for like how to go about treating 
something because like it's worked for them in the past. It's worked for patients in the past, mm. whatever they're, you know, they've, they've, they've read, they've read studies and analyzed data that, you know, points them in a certain direction, but there are other ways and it really does take you. Like I know like WebMD can be just like, or, you know, Dr. Google can be, you know, a doctor's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. when somebody is overdoing it but it is a really but it is in a lot of ways a really a great way for people who are going through something to try and aggregate a lot of information mm-hmm. and bring it forward to their physician and go like but what about this and so that then the doctor or the surgeon or whatever can say hey you're right like that is a way that you can do this here's why i'm not leaning that way and, you know, and, and then, and then that opens the door and the conversation for mm-hmm. people to go, well, there are these other ways and it's nice to know about them. And we can now have a conversation about why you don't think we should do that or, or why I would prefer to do that, even though maybe you're not leaning that way because of, you know, X, Y, Z reason that's totally personal to you. Mm-hmm. But there, there is, um, there is a role that's kind of like that in the hospital already. Like Jer, when you go into clinic, who's the person... It's a common role. I'm just the having CF, a for The CF nurse coordinator, Sarah. Um, but there's but there's somebody. So that would oh, be the, specific to CF. The janitor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's somebody else. It's not an occupational therapist, but it's. Um, remember, remember, we had this conversation, and you were talking about all the people who come to see you, and you're like, yeah. "There's that person that does that role, and they just social worker. Bas- yeah, social worker. That's yes. what I was thinking of. But so. It's kind of like similar to the idea of what the social worker does in providing you and connecting you with resources that you need. So like if it's your yeah. mental health, like referring you into a, a therapist or whatever else. But like in above and beyond that, if you if you added some of the sort of like consultant and advocacy services that like Taylor, you were talking about, it it could be a really fucking cool role. Yeah. Cause it's funny. You don't even get that though until you're diagnosed though. Right. Yeah. Where, and there's right. a bit yeah. of that step right. between advocacy when you're suspect, you suspect something mm. versus even once you're diagnosed. And it makes me think of, um, a couple of things, but one is in my, one of my old jobs was I would, I worked with university students and part of my role was taking them to the hospital when, um, like if they're like uh, planning for suicide and I would help to connect them to, to after hour support, but I often found that um, I started going to the hospital with them because if they went on their own, they were they would come back to campus after uh, they were turned away because the health system saw them as we the university will look after you 24 seven. We're overrun. Like we're not going to we're not going to take you on. But also from like language ability, um, even just age and how maybe their their needs were dismissed. So mm. I would start going with them. And because I knew all the steps and honestly, and even what to say. I would, I would say it for them. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes they would get admitted in those cases, which really would help them to be observed and supported over the weekends when mm. those supports weren't available to them. Right. Um, but uh, there's like that piece that sometimes gets missed. And obviously this would be a pretty big undertaking for the system, but yeah. having someone who could help you navigate and advocate for you too. It's even, I was reading an article about why like naturopathic medicine is more popular because um, and whether or not, like, to, like, regardless of anyone's feelings about it, it's, I think there's like an upward trend toward naturopathic medicine, because you get a full hour with the, the mm-hmm. naturopathic doctor who will hear you and validate you and try to look at your body as like from a whole perspective, which 
in an overrun system that those parts are missed, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really I mean, we, we've had a, we. This is something I've I mentioned on the show a couple of times, but my my uh, family clinic, um, family like physician clinic that I go to is one of only a, a, a small handful in Nova Scotia that are on a pilot program with the physicians that work there, where they're on salary for, instead of charging right. per per appointment, like charging the province per appointment. So you know, typically that would look like at most clinics as like a, Hey, you know, you have 15 minutes to bring one thing and talk about that one thing. We've got 15 minutes. And then like, if that merits further investigation, then of course, then we do that. Mm. But like, there's a tight window, one thing per appointment and that's it. Whereas at my, my clinic, and I didn't know this when I got it, when I went there, it's not like that. You know, you can, you can really kind of dive into things and like get to know your physician and it feels, it, it has a much better feel to it. Mm. And that's a pilot program to see, to kind of like weigh the pros and cons of, you know, better care Which for the more people. Effective. Yeah. 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 Better care for the people that go versus, you know, mm. churning out tons and tons of, yeah. of yeah. appointments. Well, it's funny, even when I was talking to the surgeon last week about now that this option is on the table, they were really far behind. They called me an hour and a half after they should have. And that's totally fine for me. But even after they presented all these options, which are going to be seriously life-changing for me, you could hear by the end of the conversation where she wants to wrap up and move on to the next appointment. And, you know, again, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to take you past maybe your work day, but this is, this is a really my big life. Yeah. This is my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to take, uh, I want to, I, I want to set up a, one of, one of the questions that we had come in through, uh, through our lovely patrons. Um, but before I do, before we hit that question, um, just to kind of set that question up a little bit ahead of time, I, I want to just go back to something that I heard you say earlier that I thought was really interesting. Um, can we talk a little bit about the 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 like asymptomatic um, element to your cancer? So you you had said earlier that that it is an asymptomatic cancer, or typically it's an asymptomatic cancer. What what does that mean? Like what? How how does one have a cancer that is asymptomatic? Yeah. So I guess these like symptoms can present themselves at, di- at different points. Like there's the symptoms you would have pre-diagnosis that like that lead you to the diagnosis and then the symptoms from your treatment. And in both of those cases, I'm pretty asymptomatic, which means in my case, again, I was doing yoga and I think just hypervigilant about my body. Uh, and that's how we came across it. But most folks wouldn't, um, I think with a lot of cancers, you maybe would have like sudden weight loss, a lot of pain, and right. it can be possible for just, but uh, not in my case and not in many other cases. Uh, but it's usually something you just find on a, on a scan because you're not presenting any signs or symptoms of a disease. Um, and then afterward, because I take, I take a medication every day versus something like chemo where again, hair loss, um, like, like, I guess I should say maybe like more side effects, but, uh, like, like I don't experience things like hair loss or weight loss or, mm necessarily nausea. I have, I have some side effects to my medication, uh, like puffy eyes, which like to me is a big deal. But I think for most people, they would say, oh, look, you've got Becky with the good symptoms too. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but there, there aren't many side effects to the, to the treatment as well. Okay. Yeah. So, so like I had mentioned, uh, we have a, a really, uh, just an amazing, uh, community of, of, uh, upwards, almost 200 people that, that have subscribed to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash sick boy. If you want to check that out. Um, and, and as a part of that, we, we have this discord, uh, 
uh, server where all of our patrons gather and, and have like really interesting, fun conversations. But one of the channels in that Discord server is um, is guest questions. And so they all find out who we're talking to before ahead of time and uh, have an opportunity to submit questions that, you know, the th- three of us might not uh, think to ask. And so we had a question come in from Sadie, um, and you sort of touched on this earlier, but, but curious to know, um, how do people react when you talk about your condition? There's, there's definitely a spectrum there. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's interesting because no matter how close I am to the, like, to, to me, I'm always a little bit puzzled, even when it's a complete stranger and they're, they're distraught. Um, I, I don't know if it's because I'm younger, uh, and they don't expect that from me. Uh, but with family and friends, I, I think it, like that was, you know, it, to, it, like, it is what it was expected to be. Um, I'll share that I, you know, earlier in the podcast, I was saying how I went to see my GP or my, my physician um, before I met my oncologist. And that weekend, I went to my brother-in-law's place. But also that weekend, I had scheduled um, a spa day, at, like a Scandinavian style spa with a massage, like a massage. Oh, I planned fancy. it for months. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the, that's the best way to use your insurance benefits. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I had planned it and I asked Dooling my physician. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, well, and my physician, I asked her if I should go. And she said, yeah, go for it. You like, if there's anything you should do right now, it's de-stress. Treat so yourself. my husband yeah. and I had been crying for 24 hours and we're like, we're going to hold it together. We're going to go to the spa and we're going to just relax. And the first thing, so I I go into the appointment and, you know, you always have to fill in those medical forms Mm. to when you're doing a massage. And I am like, oh, this is my first time really having to tell someone I have cancer other than when I told my parents the night before, which was the thing I never wanted to do in my life and Mm. seeing my mom be crushed like that. Uh, but you know, um, I, I filled it out on the form. Like, I guess I should say I've got cancer now embrace this new lifestyle. And I go in and the lady looks at the form and she goes, Oh, this must be family history. Right. I'm like, no, 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 I, I have cancer. And she was distraught. She, she was like, but you're so young. Oh, How no. could you have cancer? Where is it? I'm like, it's in my stomach. She's like, well, why would you come here if you have cancer? I'm like, well, I, I, it's, it's been less than 24 hours. I, I'm pretty new you to this. You should be at the hospital. Why aren't you at the hospital? That's where they keep all the cancer people. I found out yesterday. <laughs> Fucking give me a break. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know how to handle this actually. So uh, she's like, well, I don't, I don't feel comfortable giving you a massage because I'm going to spread the cancer. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm wow. pretty new to this, but I don't oh. think that's how it works. Yeah, no. Uh, so she, she's like, let me go talk to my supervisor. And so she goes and talks to her supervisor. She comes back uh, and she's like, okay, I guess that was an old way of thinking. I can do it, but I'll put, I'll put the pregnancy pillow under your stomach. And I'm like, you know what that, I, I have a bit of a belly now anyway, that would probably be pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> so, so she does. And the whole massage, she's talking and processing her feelings. Like, I just can't believe it. Like, how did you find out? And, oh and she stops at one oh point, just my. goes, well, at least you don't have it on your liver. Cause that would be the end. And I remember telling oh my doctor God. later and she oh. cackled um, because I, I, you know, obviously I did and I couldn't crush this lady's spirit. You should have like, you should have like and no, actually it's all it's over my all liver. Over my liver. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish. And so oh, I finally finished the massage and my husband and I again have been trying to hold it together at this appointment. And she sees him in the hall. 
hall and she goes up to him and hugs him and she goes you have a wonderful wife and she's <laughs> crying and he starts crying Whoa. and um i haven't had a massage since but yeah. that will be the first episode of becky with the good cancer that is <laughs> a, that is totally a sitcom episode yeah. i mean yeah. i mean the, the poor woman like yeah. obviously there's a lot of things that she has yet to confront about the reality <laughs> yeah, of the yeah, world. Yeah. So like, that's one thing, but I mean, also, you know, from the, from your perspective as like, as comical and, you know, Larry David worthy of a, <laughs> of a situation as that is, it's like, man, then that's so put on to you. Yeah. And that's, yes. that's the thing, you know, like, I, I mean, that, that's like, that's one of the, one of the elements that, that kickstarted this entire podcast, like every discussion, that we've had is, is it, it always, it very often comes around to this, this element of how oftentimes when you have an illness and you have to just live your life in the world and, you know, whether it's meeting strangers or, or even just having conversations with people that you know very deep, deeply and, and, and have known for a long time, this, this fucking weird thing where, you find yourself more often than not having to take care of others because you have like revealed this piece of information about yourself. And, mm-hmm. and it's like that, man, that shit is exhausting. Like that mm-hmm. is, it, it, it's, it's, I think it's one of the things that, that for anybody listening to this right now, um, yeah, I, I think, I don't even know if we recorded it, but, um, Becky, like when we were talking before the recording and, and we were, we were reminiscing about this conference that you had seen me speak at and you had this thought, like, uh, was this like a year prior to your, your diagnosis, this thought of like, I wonder if I would ever like relate or be, you know, be in a position where, um, you know, I have to think about this podcast. Like, yeah, the, the thing is <clears throat> any of us, all of us can at one point in our lives find ourselves in a position where now we are dealing with, we're a patient and now we're dealing with some sort of ailment. And I think like one of the personally, one of the more important things in, in considering that that is a very possible reality um, is like, how are you going to manage those situations where you find yourself having to take care of others because they don't know how to fucking react to the fact that you're sick. And mm-hmm. some people do it really graciously and really well. And some people just can't, can't handle the, the pressure because it's, like I said, it's fucking exhausting. Um, it, the, the, it, it's funny because like earlier I was looking for a hack, um, but I got a hack for everybody <laughs> who's listening. Here if, we go. If, uh, nice. if, if you find yourself in those positions where somebody is opening up to you about something that they're going through, the easiest hack is to ask them questions. About if you don't know what to say to them, ask them questions because you can like number one, the first question you can ask in a in a non frantic way is are you comfortable <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. about that? Are you comfortable talking yeah. more about this? And if they say no, then stop asking them. Then questions. shut the fuck up. If they say <laughs> yeah. yes, then just ask them the some up. more questions. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty fucking easy at that yeah. point. Like yeah, it, it's, yeah. yeah know, I guess dude, I guess that's the thing, Brian. It's like it's not it's not telling people who who eventually will get sick to think of how they're going to manage yeah. those situations. It's, it's telling everybody else <laughs> who, is, who is inevitably going to meet that person to, to figure out how they're going to manage their own bullshit that arises in those situations. Th- there's a high chance that you will at some point in your life be a patient in a hospital. 
there I mean, is an even higher, even higher chance. chance. Yeah. yeah, there's a hundred percent chance yeah, that yeah. you will meet somebody who is. So, I mean, one of my one of the, one of the things that I've found is 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 really helpful. Like, more just like a this is like a roundtable pro tip. Um, uh, is that that you know if you if you say something as simple as like, oh man, that really sucks. I'm sorry to hear that, and 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 they engage with you on that then that's like the opening of the door or the closing yeah. of the door. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, like like somebody came out, I was at the yoga studio once and somebody came out of class and I was like, hey, are you doing okay? Do you, do you need anything? And they were like, oh man, diabetes. And I was like, oh, that sucks. And they were like, yeah, it does suck. And they sat down on the couch and started talking to me about their diabetes. And I was like, cool, this is this is fine. Mm-hmm. We're having a, we're, now we're having a conversation about diabetes. Or they could have said, yeah, hey, diabetes, I'll be good in a sec. And then, you know, have a swig of water and, and then go back in or whatever. But, you know, it's like just it sucks. And mm. no one like no one's walking around thinking that having an illness is a great is a cool thing. Um, you know, it sucks. We can all agree that it sucks. And um, if you want to talk about it, we can. And if you don't, we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great because it shows that you're comfortable talking about it, maybe at another point if they're well, willing to share. But I love the the suggestions of just it sucks because it does and asking questions, especially if you're comfortable talking about it. Because I, I think something I had to navigate with even close friends, colleagues, uh, which I actually don't really tell anybody at work. I'm trying to because the, also sometimes the reaction is. I should say even there was a manager at my workplace who was really pressuring me to take a leave of absence. And I had to be really clear with them that I need this drug plan and I mm. don't want to be at home. Like, what am I going to do? Do this for like be at home for 30 years? I can have this for 30 years. Um, don't ascribe your expectations to mm. me. But there was a lot of um, people not knowing, like they were uh, like my friends were always afraid that they were going to say the wrong thing. Versus just, yeah, ask questions, validate my feelings. It's, that's totally okay. You're not going to say necessarily the wrong thing other than, of like, course, good I- Good thing I, it's not on your liver. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be, yeah. that's the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spe- speaking of, uh, speaking of like medications and stuff, I, I really want to kind of dig into the treatment um, that, that you are currently on. Um, what, what does treatment of just look like? Yeah, so typically what what one of the first things, so if you have GIST or suspected GIST, make sure you get mutational testing um, and uh, or like, you know, advocate that to your doctor. First things first, get a specialist and they'll usually advise you get a mutational test because uh, different GIST tumors have different mutations and depending on the mutation, they're responsive to different types of treatment. The most common, which is is like mine, is um, like the mutation that I have is most responsive to a medicine called imatinib. Uh, the the brand name is Gleevec, which is like usually the the better version. So go get for, get that if you can, if your insurance will allow. Uh, but it's it's a daily targeted therapy drug. So. Um, I like, and they use it for things like leukemia as well. Mm. Um, I take it every day. Um, I, t- I just have to make sure I drink a lot of water and eat a lot of food with it. And then it helps me to not feel so nauseous. And it's chemo. Uh, is it, is it, it's a chemo pill? Yeah. Yeah. It's a chemo pill. Uh, that's at least what it says on the, on the, the label. Um, right. yeah. Okay. So I think it's considered technically a chemotherapy drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that, so you take that pill at once a day, every day? Yeah. Yeah. 
what uh, are there side effects to that? Like, do you do you, like you know you're not you, I, people can't see you right now, but you you have a full head of hair, I think, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so does your dog, which was just there on the screen, which is very so cute. cute. Um, is there what, what are the side effects of the of the daily chemo pill? Yeah, so I, I think once you develop a couple of hacks, um, then uh, like it's, it becomes pretty manageable. But uh, <laughs> yeah, them. that's for you, Brian. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is it's usually like nausea, um, diarrhea, um, and for me, honestly, they're within the hour I take it. So I usually have to like you know just sit down mm. for a moment after I take it, um, like and some coffee. fatigue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so then there's some fatigue as well too. Um, mm. and again, like, um, I think for some people they get, so there's some fluid buildup. It usually happens for some reason around your eyes. So, uh, the shape of my eyes is that it usually builds up a little bit above my eyes. Like my, my eyes are hooded. So it builds up a little bit above there. Uh, for some people it's, it's below, um, and maybe you get some swelling of your hands mm. and feet, but that's in really extreme cases, which, they would have to treat with um, usually like a diuretic. And mm. is yeah. this like, you know, how long do you have to take this pill? Like, like, have you been given any kind of, I don't know, you know, like any Forever. sense of any sense of like, well, you could go into remission in two years and, and then maybe stop having to take it or does it not, is it, is this very different? Yeah, it's, it's probably, it, it, and it's interesting because once we know more about my liver, that might change some things, but with it being like with liver mets, let's say, probably forever. Uh, in, oh, unless wow. I go, yeah, unless like the only real way to manage the disease to a point where you're no evidence of disease, at least from my understanding, is when you have an operation to remove. But if you're not in a position to remove, you just take Levic uh, until your body isn't responsive, and then you move on to the next line of treatment, which there are a few different types of drugs like this, but Glevic is usually the, f- the first line of treatment. Um, but, but it's funny though, because when I've talked to my oncologist about one of the first things, which I mean, it wasn't necessarily an issue for me, but I had a hard time processing was uh, fertility. Um, so it's mm. interesting. Most people who have just are a little bit older, uh, but there are a few of us who are younger and fertility is, uh, is an issue with just because um, the Gleevec causes birth defects. So it's not that it's affected my fertility per se, but I can't carry a baby because uh, it would cause birth defects. So mm. I've talked to my oncologist mm. about like, do I freeze eggs? Do I go via cert? Like, get, do I get a surrogate? Um, I'm still on the fence about having children. So this is, I kind of like the idea of just like storing my eggs somewhere and, and mm. thinking about it later. But he said, you know, maybe at some point you'll be able to come off your medication for a pregnancy. So it's it's not clear, but most patients I, I'd say stay on this medication just forever. Mm. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. Uh, how's that... How has that affected your mental health? You know, like that, that, that's quite a, that's quite a, that's quite an element to add to someone's life, you know, like a, 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 a daily routine that is, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not the biggest thing, a daily routine to just take a pill, but like, there's a big difference between just taking a multivitamin every day and, mm-hmm. and a fucking chemo pill. Like how has, how has the overall treatment of this cancer sort of affected you on a, on a mental health basis? Yeah, that's a good question. I've definitely had some ups and downs. Um, I should say that, especially with my previous work, uh, I'm very pro health mental health, uh, pro mental health support. 
so I almost right away connected with a therapist and I changed therapist therapist too. I wanted someone who the therapist I had before was more about helping me to like explore my identity and the person I want to be versus navigating death. Uh, so I, I chose a therapist who had a little bit more experience with palliative care uh, to like help me process. And uh, I think what was really important for me was regardless of how much time I have left or, you know, what, like what this is going to look like, like doing more reflection on who I am, what my values are and living my life in an authentic way so that it doesn't really matter if I live a long time or a short time, I can be proud of the time that I've had at like, mm-hmm. like on this planet. Um, but so the, there's definitely been some ups and downs. I think the first few sessions I sobbed every time we mentioned children mm. because, and, and I, I sh- again, I, I really was on the fence before and now, but it just felt like something was taken from me. The option itself was taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was difficult to process. And I think I cried the first day I had to pick up my medication. My my husband couldn't come with me, so I had to drive there myself. And I just had the medication and I was like, I felt like it was in the matrix and I was about to take the pill uh, and my life was going to radically change forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely come to, come to terms with it more so now, but I would say um, it was really positive to proactively connect with a therapist knowing that I'll have to process like Mm -hmm. we're going to talk this week because I found out about the operation and even that I have to prep myself like psychologically for a life-changing operation Mm. uh, which yeah like it yeah it's definitely ups and downs Um, although I don't know in some points it's been liberating because you know some things like when I go on hikes I'm afraid of animals and now I'm like, oh, well, you know, I've got cancer. Um, I, guess I, could, I could get eaten by a bear. Or... That's a unique perspective. Show. That is a hilarious I, piece of perspective. I, I, mean, I, like, I don't want to take that away from you, but getting eaten by a bear is far, far worse than dying from cancer. I, I, I'm gonna, I mean, I don't know for sure because I haven't done either, but I'm just going to take a quick just, guess. Yeah, just, just, just riffing here. They eat your ass first. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's Becky, I wanted to ask you about <laughs> um, like they, like taking that taking that pill, is it weird? Like s- like feeling mostly normal, like other than noticing this lump. Um, like I'm assuming that you felt pretty much normal through all of this, and like mm-hmm. you're about to take that pill that you know you're going to take for the rest of your life, and like it's to treat this thing that like y- you can't really see anywhere else on your body. You just know from these like tests that like x-ray your insides that that it is inside of you but like at the same time i imagine i'm trying to put myself in in your shoes of being in the store like store or the pharmacy and picking up this prescription and like wondering like do i really need to take this like i feel mostly normal like was was that weird yeah i think what's weird too is that because i felt mostly normal throughout the day i always take mine in the evening just to manage the fatigue but it was almost uh, for a while and, and not to minimize it, it legitimately felt this way. I almost felt a little re-traumatized mm-hmm. every time I'd go to take my medication because I'd live fairly normally during the day and forget it, which was, it's a privilege in itself. But then I'd come time to take the medication. I'm like, fuck, I've got cancer. Um, I forgot right, about yeah. that. And, and then I would, I'd kind of have to manage that. It's definitely gotten better. And I should say that for the most part, I, I don't really think about it anymore until recently with the operation being on the table. But even things like like initially when I was diagnosed too, you don't realize how much cancer is everywhere. Mm. So I like even on the way to the appointment with my, my doctor, there was an advertisement and the advertisement started as 
it's worse than we thought. Oh no, it's spread. And it was an advertisement about cancer. And my husband and I are on the way to this appointment. And we're like, fuck, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's and like he, a Volkswagen. Like once yeah. you get, once you buy one, you realize it's what everyone, everyone's driving a fucking Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I drive a Civic, so I, I do a Honda <laughs> even Civic. Worse. So I feel that way. Yeah. 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 That's even worse than the Volkswagen effect. But even like on TV and stuff too, or, I, or even like, a, I remember like a colleague saying to me at work, they're like, well, you don't catch cancer by saying cancer. And in my brain, I'm like, this lady doesn't know I have cancer and she's bringing it up. Or I was watching a more recent season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I love, um, but probably shouldn't have watched it when I was pretty raw because that show is, it it pokes fun at everyone. And one of the episodes was Larry suspecting that he had cancer and his friends being like, oh, we, we, yeah, we can't do this. We we can't have a cancer friend. And me just breaking down, being like, it's true. Who wants a cancer cancer friend? friend? (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, Larry David doesn't even like me anymore. Um, (laughs) You know, it's funny, like there, there's a, uh, a game, uh, like, I don't know if you, how, I don't know how familiar you are with video games, but uh, we grew up playing uh, a game called Grand Theft Auto <laughs> and there's a, you know, that Grand Theft Auto is, is, you know, gets, it catches a lot of flack, but there are some really brilliant things that they sneak into that game from like a, like a, like a, like a societal psychological level. And one of the things is that. Um, that when you get in, like whenever you get in a new car, like whenever you get in like a random car and start driving it, that car is now the car that you see. It's like, it's like you see like now, because there's only like, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of like types of cars in the game. But once you get in that car, that's like the, the predominant car. Or if you're like interacting with a person, there's like more of that type of character now in the game. And it's almost like the psychological thing that's like, it's always all there, but now that you are a part of that community or a part of that group, like now you are all, all so hyper aware yeah. of everywhere that all that stuff is showing up. Like it's always been there, but now you're just a part of the club. And yeah. so, and so you, it, you know, like, so when you, like all the cancer information and like, you know, the Volkswagen thing, like that is a real thing. Or if you drive a motorcycle, like all of a sudden you're like, holy fuck, dude, when did all these motorcycles, I bought a motorcycle and now everyone drives a goddamn motorcycle. Like you, you just, you, all of a sudden you see all these things in the ways in which this world exists and you're a part of it now. And now it, it, it like announces itself in a way, different way to you and speaks to you differently because mm. you're, you're a part of the club. Uh, Becky, I, I want to ask you a question that we ask most of our guests, and it's a two-part question. Uh, the first part is, out of everything you've experienced so far, what's the biggest thing that just has taken away from you? Ooh. I mean, <laughs> if I'm honest, I should say children, um, but my first thought was alcohol. Um, I used mm. to drink quite heavily, um, and now I don't drink so heavily, um, which is probably good. Uh, that was mm. that was quite nice. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I should say I was much more social and being a yeah. little bit obsessed with beer. Um, but that was a little bit like a, a big game changer for me because mm. like one of my favorite pastimes was trying different beers. And a lot of my friends are connected to like the brewery scene and feeling like I wouldn't be able to connect in that way. Mm. Um, I will say um, planning for my future. That is, I'm very future oriented And all of a sudden, I think I had to wrestle with a piece of my identity being gone in the sense that I love thinking about my next step and I can't think about my next step anymore because I don't really know what that's going to be. 
Um, my, my work has a really sick pension and I'm really bitter that I might not get to use it. Um, that's a, that's why I, <laughs> that was one of my motivations for my job. Um, so I don't know, the plan, like it was a good day for me when I had a day where I started to think about my next career choice. And I, I remember thinking to myself and talking to my husband about it after thinking, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've even committed myself to something in the future or thought that I could take a risk. Um, like I, so I would say like thinking about the future or risk taking because mm. I, um, especially at work, feel like since my, my medication is tied to it, I can't, I can't mess up. Like when, when COVID first started, I was really, we were starting to lay people off. And I was like, I've got to make myself so essential here because I can't get laid mm. off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, um, yeah, like some of that spontaneity that maybe I would have had. And I've, you know, I've dreamed of relocating to different parts of the world, but I'm not sure how that would factor in with my medication and mm. planning for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully maybe those things can change in the future, but I'm, it's been harder for me to reconcile that at this time. Mm. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest thing that just has given you? Ooh, uh, I, I would say, uh, and it's funny because when I've talked to other folks with cancer, there's a common theme of it, it like more like a fo- refocused purpose or understanding what you want out of life. Um, I, 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 some of my friends are a little bit more ra- radical where they're grateful that they've had cancer. I'm not sure if I'm there yet, like a, they, they wouldn't change anything, but I do appreciate that cancer has really helped me to reflect on what I want out of life. I think mm-hmm. before cancer, I was kind of going through the motions, even children's a really great example. Um, you know, I think for some people that is what brings them meaning and joy in life. For me, I was going to have children because I wanted my parents to have grandchildren and I was going to be the way that they had grandchildren. Um, but it really made me pause and think about some of the things that I weren't necess- I wasn't doing for myself. I was doing for others or just out of societal expectations. Mm. But I mean, I don't fit in a lot of the, the boxes that society has now. And I can kind of carve that out for myself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Becky, I got to say, this has been uh, a real joy to sit down and talk to you, even though we were talking about something so heavy and and, and so unfortunate, but it, you really are just so fun to sit down and chat with. And uh, I'm glad, I'm glad that, that we were able to make this happen because I think this is a really, really fun episode. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe something I got out of having cancer is I finally had a reason to come on the show. <laughs> I listened to the podcast before. So, <laughs> uh, psych, I don't really are. have cancer. Fuck you guys. I'm out. Thanks, Becky. Thank you. There we go, folks. That was our conversation with Becky with the good kids. Oh, Becky. Um, and I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we love, we always love a good cancer talk. And, uh, and that was uh, just one of them. And we got more coming down the pipeline, actually. We just, it's not, not relevant we just, right we now, just, but we literally just finished a recording with, uh, with someone who had breast cancer. We love cancer. It was just a sick boy podcast. We, we, but also fuck it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. cancer. But, uh, but we, but we love those of you who took cancer and 
made it your bitch. Um, Hey, if you're listening on Spotify, thanks. And uh, don't forget, hit that follow button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, thanks again. Uh, And don't forget, leave a five-star rating or a one-star. I don't give a fuck, really. And then just leave your thoughts. I don't care. Just leave. Just just, just fucking put something on there. Be nice. And then uh, if you you tune in on our Friday episodes over on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and press that little bell icon so that you get notified every time we put out an episode every Friday. Uh, we love all of you for all the support that you've given us over the last six years, whether you're brand new to the podcast or you're OG, like a lot of our patrons. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Even, um, even if you don't um, use YouTube, just like make an account and go and subscribe. That actually, would be yeah, really just, nice. Just do that. They're, they're yeah, be, that, that would be really helpful. And you know, if you want to reach out, if you want to let us know anything, um, what you think about us, critical or otherwise, you can do that by going to letters at sickboypodcast.com by going to sending an email to letters at sickboypodcast.com mm-hmm. and um, you know or or just you know social media DMs uh, Facebook Messenger whoever the fuck uses that and um, um, you know l- let us know what you think um, yeah if you want to be a guest on the show go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact fill out the guest form and maybe we'll have you on the show and uh, and don't forget about our TikTok because uh, you know we're hip with the Zoomers and uh, we're making those talks so you can ch- check those out by going sure, to we're TikTok. Making them, we're making them tick. We're making them tick for sure. And uh, and uh, yeah, like I said before, we're probably going to be on Snapchat soon. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, thank you so much to the people who make these Monday episodes happen. To uh, to us for hosting it, Jeremy Saunders, Tiller McGilvery, and myself. To Lauren for helping us produce these podcasts. Lauren Sankey, we absolutely love you. Jeff Lonis, our manager. And to Donovan, the meerkat Morgan for the amazing sound design. This show is brought to you by the theme music from Take Part, the band, uh, who's no longer together, but they, they made music at one point. You can check out some of their old tunes at takepartinthis.bandcamp.com, but not before you leave a rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.